Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. Welcome to episode 138 of Beyond the Rut, the weekly podcast about inspiring and equipping you to make your own path and live the life you've always dreamed of, Beyond the Rut. I'm one of your hosts, and actually your only host for this episode, Jerry Dugan. Brandon is still on hiatus, but he will be back. He will return, and we will share your share with you his story. There we go. That's what I meant to say. Now, in this episode, as promised in episode 137, I'm going to talk with you about a book that truly hit home for me recently, and it's called The Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor. And so from there, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the book, but not so much because I do want you to read his book. Read it, read it, read it. It was published in 2010, and if you haven't read it by now, go get a copy. Uh, it's okay because I didn't hear about this book until three, maybe four weeks ago. And when I read it, it blew my mind because one, it was like the story of my life, and two, it, it pretty much is the essence of what Beyond the Rut is all about. We're helping you find your happiness in life, whatever that may be. So join us as we kick off part one of the happiness advantage and how it applies to your life really about how it applies to my life and then from there we're going to go into parts two and i don't know we might we might do a three it depends on how much i've been able to talk about this i want to keep these episodes to around 25 to 30 minutes uh, at best so with that said sit back and relax unless you're driving in that case keep your head on a swivel and stay alert as we dive into the happiness advantage here we go all right, hopefully you haven't left me and you're still here listening and you're thinking, man, Jerry, this cheesy joke of yours never gets old because that's my hope. Uh, anyway, I mentioned in the introduction, I read a book recently called The Happiness Advantage, and it's just that. What is the advantage you get from being happy as a mindset. So it's really about that. It's a mindset. And that book walks you through seven principles about uh, how you can help frame your mind so that you see the silver lining in every situation so that you uh, go to work happy to begin with and then tackle all your ch tough challenges with from a position of happiness and positive thinking. So this comes from the realm of positive psychology. And if you're familiar with psychology in any way, you'll find that one in maybe 16 publications are about all the neg uh, about positive stuff and then everything else. So 15 out of maybe 16 uh, psychology publications are about depression, uh, eating disorders. It's all, it's all the negative stuff. So that's where this guy, Sean Acor, comes into play. Uh, he and his mentor, really some of the early pioneers of the field of positive psychology. Now, you're probably starting to tune out already, and I, I just encourage you not to do that. In fact, I know I've been accused plenty of times for being um, just overly positive. How can you be positive all the time? And th the truth of the matter is it's by choice. Uh, there's a lot about me many of you don't know. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll just take a few minutes to share with you some of my life story, because if we're going to spend the next you know two or three episodes talking about positive psychology, I, I want you to know that I'm not just somebody who was born happy all the time and just live my whole life that way. Uh, so I'm going to go back in time. I'm going to try to keep it together because, again, it's not really something I talk about all the time because it's not the thing I want you to know me for. I want you to know me for the positive impact that I have on you, for making you feel good about yourself. That's what I want to be known for. So I'm going to go back to my childhood. Uh, I was born to, uh, you know, an army dad and a, a tiger mom, 
you know, mother. You know, she, she uses the stereotypical uh, mother from Thailand, very strict. You got to go to school, get straight A's. Uh, so I didn't have a lot of leeway to actually be a child. I always had to be responsible because I was the oldest child. But that's not the sad story, guys. Uh, what happened was when I was about 11 years old, uh, my mother, you know, had fears that my dad might be cheating on her. So rather than wait for that to come true, she went ahead and proactively found herself a, a new boyfriend, new husband, and, and left us. Uh, or actually kicked us out because we had to move to Germany and she decided she wasn't coming with. So at the age of 11, uh, like many kids in the United States of America and around the world, uh, I was now facing divorce as a child. And part of me was, I, I feel bad about it at times and I've come to terms with it a long time ago, guys. So don't think I still need a psychiatrist or anything. Uh, but I, I felt good about it because now I was no longer under my mom's strict you know, rule and parenting. I, I could be, you know, that free child to, to think what I think, say what I want to say, and explore the world with my own uh, curiosity. Uh, however, what I didn't expect was that once we got to Germany, I, I found out that my dad was actually falling apart 100%. He had put on a very strong face for us in the United States. But once we were alone in Germany, and he was just getting letter after letter from my mom uh, that had been delayed because of, you know, the mail and so on, uh, he's reading all these letters about how my mom doesn't love him and she uh, needed to get away from him and she needed to uh, you know be loved and and have you know she she was like probably the original person who said YOLO I mean you only live once and and she was pursuing what was making her happy and this made my dad fall apart in the first day or two and so we're having dinner in our apartment in Germany and out of nowhere, my dad just stops talking and we look up at him. We're in the kitchen making dinner and my dad's holding a butcher knife to his chest. And that blew my brother and I away. Like we, we were just dumbfounded. I was 11. My brother was nine. And here we are looking at our dad in his late thirties, uh, holding a knife to his chest. And we didn't know what to do. So, uh, we immediately just threw ourselves on him and cried and said, dad, don't do it. You know, put that down and, uh, th it's going to be okay. And, uh, you know, we immediately put all those knives away. So every knife that we owned in the house, uh, we buried somewhere. In fact, uh, it, somewhere in Germany, somebody probably found a wastebasket filled with butter knives and steak knives and kitchen knives, um, hedge clippers, you name it. If it had a blade on it, it went into that wastebasket and we buried it somewhere, uh, somewhere deep in an apartment building. And we actually forgot about it. Uh, so from then on, we basically used plastic whirl. We, we had to actually get rid of the forks too. Uh, we weren't so worried about spoons. Uh, so that began our short career on suicide watch. Uh, my dad for the next three months just could not be left alone. And again, I'm 11 years old, having to keep my dad alive. Uh, my brother and I working out shifts. So, you know, we wanted to still be kids. I mean, we're kids. We, we, we didn't know how to do anything else. So uh, here I am at 11 years old, working out a schedule with my brother of uh, when we would be on watch with my dad. What would he not be allowed to have? So uh, over the course of three months or so, uh, every blade hidden, every fork hidden, every sharp object object gone. If it could be a rope that you could tie around your neck, it was gone. Um, well, by the end of those three months, however, uh, I don't know where my dad found it, but he found uh, a lanyard. He reinforced it and hung himself. And it was on my watch, and I walked in and found him hanging from a closet door, uh, or at least you know something where he could hang from a closet door, and I couldn't lift him up, and uh, you know he uh, 
yeah, he was just heavy. I mean, I was 11, you know, I'm trying to pick up a 30 something year old man who was a, a very fit soldier in the U S army. And I just could not lift him up. And I remember screaming out loud, trying to wake him up, slapping him in the face. And finally that rope just snapped. And I heard a loud grunt from him. I didn't hear him breathing. I, I didn't know what to check for. So I just did what any kid would do. Uh, or any person I ran out of the, the apartment screaming, looking for my brother who was out playing with our friends. And, uh, you know, just by the grace of God, my dad was still alive. When we came back into that apartment, he was breathing, he was crying, uh, just completely broken down. And we were there to, uh, you know, kind of freshen him up a bit. And, uh, you know, we just thought, wow, we're, that was a close call. We, we don't know what to do. Uh, fortunately, that rope put a rope burn on his neck and uh, his coworkers saw it the next day. You, know, you can't you can't hide a rope burn, guys. And uh, from there, his coworkers realized how serious my dad's depression had gotten, and they stepped into action. Uh, they put us in foster care for a bit. Great family that we lived with for a, about a month before we got to come back to the United States. Uh, and my dad got the care he needed. My dad is alive. He's, I, I guess you can say he's well. He's still alive. <laughs> his health isn't the greatest. He doesn't eat the healthiest of meals, and uh, he's a diabetic today. But you know, he's in his late sixties, and he comes out to Corpus Christi and visits us every year. And um, you know, we've we've moved past it. So. You would think, wow, that's horrible. But I, I wish I could say that's where all that trouble ended. See, for some reason, in the 1980s, that was the year that I guess every uncle of mine decided, that's when I'm going to have my wife leave me. Uh, so we had, I think, four uncles going through divorce at the same time. And with that, you, you apparently got a family all prone to depression, because that's something I picked up on. And with that, you had pretty much four of the men in the family on antidepressants. Some of them handled it well. They were coping it well. I mean, as well as you can. I mean, the, a big part of their lives have just left them. And, you know, my brother and I had just experienced what we did with my dad. He had just gotten the help he needed. Uh, and he was on his way to recovery. He still needed some, some therapy past the, that initial rescue. However, over time, he, he did get better. Uh, you know, to this day, my dad still holds on to, you know, what could have been. Uh, however, we don't worry about him committing suicide. Uh, however, I had two uncles who were notorious for bullying uh, the other, the, their cousins, their, their nephews, I should say, the ne- my cousins, their nephews. And I eventually somehow became the brunt of all that uh, because the, my cousins all learned that if you sided with my uncle, he didn't pick on you. But if you stood your ground and you stood for what was right, you became his target. So from the age of 11, having just endured what I just shared with you about my dad and his depression and uh, trying to commit suicide, I am now faced with my uncle who's rallied up all my cousins against me. And now for the next three to four years, I am bullied, not by by classmates, but by my own family, the folks I, that most people can retreat to and find support from. Uh, they're the ones picking on me like every day, all day, uh, on Monday from Friday night through Sunday afternoon when we go up to my grandparents' house to visit. Uh, I'd have to wrestle. It was, I mean, it was WrestleMania and, you know, getting top roped, you know, elbow dropped on, leg dropped on, uh, getting choked out. Uh, and people just laughing about it because I was so little and I, I really couldn't put up much of a fight. Uh, and then on top of that, being called a gook, a chink, a half breed, uh, boat person, get back on the boat and go back to Thailand, uh, from my own uncle. And then the rest of these cousins would just rally around that. And, um, so it, it made me feel rejected and, you know, golly, you know, my own family, the people I love 
reject me. And my dad doesn't want to be on this earth or didn't want to be. And, you know, where do I have to go? So maybe school, except, you know, we're talking about sixth grade. And what are middle schoolers good at doing? bullying each other. So I would get smacked in my forehead because I have a big forehead and I'd get smacked in my forehead. I'd get pushed down. I'd get made fun of. Um, so middle school really sucked until about eighth grade when I found a good group of friends who were very supportive, uh, very diverse. And uh, you know, I started to see things turn around once I got into high school. So not bullied as much once I got to high school, found some things that uh, made me feel good about myself, that plugged me in with other people, and uh, I found my support among teachers and among fellow students uh, through most of high school. A uh, little, little rough patch in my senior year, I uh, uh, wasn't fa- uh, really good at dating, and apparently uh, I was a, a bit clingy, and that uh, made my group of friends turn against me and and. I'm not mad at them about it. I wish somebody had told me about it because then I would be like, oh, I'm so sorry. That's awkward. Uh, but looking back on it, kind of embarrassing. Uh, go off to college. You know, college was, you know, typical. So I'm coming out of that. And then, of course, combat veteran. Uh, so I'm fast forwarding a bit. Uh, U.S. Army uh, did the one thing I didn't expect I'd do while I was in the Army, and that was actually go to combat, which is really dumb because what does the Army do? What does the military do? It goes to combat. That's its job. It, it tries to deter combat first, but if, if it has to go to war, it goes to war and we had to go to war. And so I, I saw a lot of things in Iraq that you know, no one should ever have to see. Uh, and, and with that, I almost got shot a couple of times. Uh, in one case, I was going to uh, remind some folks to put their battle gear on. We were getting shot at and I almost ran out into a hill of bullets, uh, but something had distracted me. I turned around and when I looked back to where I was going to be running, there were bullets just kicking up off the uh, off the dirt where I would have been if I had ran forward the way I'd intended to. Uh, the second time we were in another firefight, different uh, shootout uh, a couple days later. And I was getting ready to poke my head up to see, uh, you know, kind of like where the, the enemy was in a sense. And right before I poked my head up, I, I heard a radio call. I heard somebody call me from behind. I turned around uh, to see what that was about. Uh, but there was nobody there. And then when I was about to turn back, I could hear the bullets whipping over my head and I'd look to my left and there's bullets kicking off the berm behind us or behind my vehicle or my position, I should say. And, and then I realized, wow, if I had stuck my head up right then and there before I was distracted, um, I would have three or four bullets go right into my face. So that's my life up to this point. Uh, eventually I do become a Christian and uh, something just clicked in my head shortly after I came back from Iraq. And that was, you know, life is life. Life is hard, but really life is good or life is bad. Really not because of the events that happen to you during life. It's how you choose to respond to it. So we all go through economic ups and downs. We all go through career ups and downs. I, I've been fired once from a job. I was job. I was thriving in, got a new, new uh, director, and the director thought I was the worst person in the world. Turns out she was very insecure about what I brought to the table and uh, didn't like the idea of somebody sharing ideas openly. And I didn't realize that the climate had shifted on the team. So I, I missed the political shift there. And, and I was fired and told I was a horrible person. In fact, that director left a voicemail on my home answering machine. Yeah, that's, at the time, we had an answering machine. And she just let me know quite publicly in front of my family uh, because you know she left a voicemail and I played it. My kids just happened to come in and hear it. And that's how they learned I lost my job back then. Uh, and that was just a demoralizing blow. 
And then, of course, the economic downturn after that. I went into real estate, had a good first year, a decent second year, and then the market shifted, and we were just barely holding on to our home uh, for about three years. Um, faced foreclosure a number of times, pulled money together at the last minute, donated plasma just to put food on the table. Um, there was a time when my wife had to uh, drive out to me uh, with the second car and give me a bag full of pennies, nickels, and dimes that came out of our kids' piggy banks and our own piggy bank so that I could put a few gallons of gas into my car so I could go show a, a property to one of my buyer clients when I was in real estate. And that buyer wound up not even buying a home from me. So uh, that's when I realized I, I needed to shift there as well. And the, the reason why I share all this with you is not to depress you. So hopefully you're like, wow. I didn't know that. That's that's my intent there. I want you to know this is the real Jerry. Uh, that that is where I've come from. Uh, by the time you heard this show, Beyond the Rut, for the first time, I'd endured all that. And you probably have endured some similar things. Uh, whether it's you know your own kind of combat, maybe you weren't in a combat zone, but you faced your own battles that were very harrowing, very traumatic to you. Uh, maybe you faced uh, death in a way that you really should not have, but you did. And uh, maybe it was a death of, career, of a career. Maybe it was somebody that you trusted turning their back on you and that devastated you uh, either financially or relate, relationally. Stuff happens, guys. Uh, maybe it was a car wreck that removed your ability to walk uh, or your ability to compete athletically. Uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, I'm here to share with you, you get to choose how you respond to that. Um you can't change the fact that it happened to you, that it, it's done, that that's just something that we all have to choose on our own. I can't tell you to choose on your own, let it go, but that is something for you to face, something for you to consider. I'll tell you with me that all those things I shared with you at some point in my life, my adult life, I made a decision in my late, I would say my late twenties, uh, maybe even my early thirties to you know draw a line in the sand and say, you know what, that stuff has happened. I cannot change any of that. And what I can change is how I move forward from here and my perspective from here. And uh, a lot of lessons I learned from my my walk as a Christian. So uh, knowing that everything I need to move forward, I already have in my possession. That was one, th- one truth I held on to. And it's proven true every step of the way. Um, so with that, I'm going to shift gears now and tell you a little bit about the happiness advantage and you know why I love this book so much. And it's because when I was reading through it in the very first chapter or so, and I've got it bookmarked here, so let me see if I find the right page. Um, there's a couple of stories that just caught my attention. Uh, one of them was uh, Sean Acor, the author, talks about uh, his experience at Harvard University. So while he was a student there, he noticed that there were a lot of students who just sort of fell by the wayside. And because and it was because they weren't connecting with people. They didn't believe that they were going to do well. They just, uh, they weren't recharging themselves and finding their emotional foundation in a sense. And because they isolated themselves, they uh, were kind of just left to their own dark thoughts. And eventually they, they just, their grades just got lower and lower and lower and they, they drop out. Think about your life going to school or your life at work. You know, you probably wake up in the morning dreading getting dressed, dreading the traffic, dreading having to clock in and knock out eight hours at a job that you don't find meaning in. Maybe that's you. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
And now let's talk about how you can use Capshow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into Capshow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. Capshow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. There was another story that Sean shares with us in his book about uh, some students he visited in Africa. And he goes to the school and he opens up talking with the students and he says, yeah, you guys are probably tired of going to school and oh my gosh, I've got to turn in homework or I've got this test and you know, when do I get out of this place? And he was surprised by the response of these students. These students happily said, no, we love coming to school. We love taking tests. We love learning. And he thought, this is insane. You, you kids are not normal, you know that, right? And it was the adults in the community that's, that shared with Sean that the students in that school in Africa saw school as an opportunity and as a privilege, something that their own parents did not get to enjoy. And so the fact that their parents were mustering up all the money they could to send their children to the school to learn and improve their lives, they came in with a completely different attitude than the typical American student did. Now let's apply that to your work. If you looked at work as a chore, yeah, it's going to suck. But if you look at your work as a privilege and an opportunity to make the world a better place from where you are serving for a paycheck, it changes exactly how you look at life. Right now, they say only 45% of all employees are actually happy where they are. That means the majority, 55%, maybe even higher, don't like where they are. They hate it. They hate their job. They hate the people around them. They put on a fake face and they're like, hey, okay, whatever, guys. I'm just, I'm just here for eight hours and then to clock out. Don't be that guy. You don't have to be that guy. You can go to that same exact job tomorrow with a completely different perspective. And all of a sudden, you're going to be the star player. Why? Because the majority of your coworkers are coming in with a bad attitude. And because of that bad attitude, they're not performing as well as they should. So a couple of things that stood out for me in that book, uh, I told you about the students in the Soweto school in Africa, how they love education. They saw it as a privilege. Uh, I shared with you the, the 45% of workers who are only 45% are happy at work. Um, but since the 1960s, depression has shifted big time. So the average onset of depression in the 1960s was at 29 and a half years old. But today, and we've got comparison games going on left and right in social media uh, with newspaper ads, magazine ads, uh, probably not newspaper ads. But anyway, uh, when you look at advertising, it's, it's all a comparison game. Look at this beautiful person. You're not that beautiful by our product. And you could be beautiful and happy like this person. So when you look at that, I'm not just blaming the marketing industry. I'm blaming pretty much our society for this. The average onset of depression in 2010 when this book was written is 14 and a half years old. When you look at suicide rates among kids, when you look at bullying rates, when you look at mass shootings, uh, just people not getting into the workforce and being productive, you know, it, depression's serious, guys. And the onset of it is being diagnosed sooner and sooner. There might be some other factors, but uh, just... I and mean, we were talking about a 15 year difference from the 1960s to today of 
depression being recognized in youth. Um, Another thing that Sean talks about is escaping the the culture of average. When you look at statistics, what are they always sharing with you? The average this, the average that, uh, the average anything. And solutions are often based off the average. But if you want to have a stellar career, if you want to have, if you want to make your own path and live the life you never dreamed of, should you really focus on average? Or should you look at the lessons learned from those who are really just killing it and doing it well? And and I'll share with you the story I'd shared with you about my life early on. Uh, average would have told you that I'm not going to ever have a thriving marriage. I'm not going to have children who love me. I'm I'm doomed to be broke and bankrupt. And the reality is when I looked at um, even my own grandparents who were married for 50 plus years, uh, but there were friends of mine who had parents who'd been married 30 plus years, 20 plus years. And when, when you saw them interact, you would see that they were thriving. They were breaking the norm. They were breaking average. And I, I just started to observe what they did and what was different about them that I could apply to my own life. And it's the same thing for people who are financially well off. You know, we could look at average and follow the average steps, or we can look at what the wealthy do in this country and emulate just a little bit of what they do or a fraction of what they do with their money. And we might find ourselves building wealth, eliminating debt. Um, you know, Dave Ramsey says, live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. That doesn't just apply to money. That applies to every facet of your life. You know, when you're in a car wreck, you can say, oh crap, I, you know, now I got to take this to the shop. I got to miss work. I got, you could look at all the negative or you can say, you know what? I could have died in that thing. And I didn't, that person could have gotten hurt really bad, but they didn't. Uh, yeah, they could have been paying attention better and not rear in my car. However, we're all okay. And the car is just a car. We can replace that. And we've got insurance, I hope. So you can always find the silver lining. I don't mean you just ignore problems because that's not what I do either, but look for the positive. What is the positive future focus you can find in your current situation? So a couple of other things I want to share with you, um, you know, really being in relationships, positive, enriching, encouraging relationships, probably the number one thing that you could, you need in order to have a happy life. Because if you're a hermit, I have never met a positive hermit. Even Yoda from Star Wars, fictitious character, um, he had puppets, uh, puppet masters all around him. So even Yoda in real life was surrounded by people, guys, believe it or not. Uh, So in real life, hermits, very, very upset, unhappy people. But if you look at the people who are happy around you, they're surrounded by people who love them and they love in return. And it's just a very positive uh, symbiotic relationship. Uh, Neuroplasticity. Another thing you got to just wrap your head around is that you are not set in stone. You're more like clay and it's not dry yet. That clay won't dry until the day you're dead. So between now and that day, when that day comes and you're dead, you can learn any new thing you want. You can pick up any new skill you want. You can pick up a new practice at just this last episode, episode 137, I shared with you how I adopted a routine to wake up two hours earlier than I usually did. And I just adopted and implemented a new routine in my life that has just made a big difference for me and my perspective of the world. Uh, My peace of mind has completely shifted because I embrace the idea of neuroplasticity. Oh man, I cannot say that word, can I? Neuroplasticity. So we still have the ability to learn new things, new knowledge, new skills, uh, 
you can go and get a new degree if you want. Uh, but just keep learning because that is going to help you see the world with a fresh set of eyes and just be a curious explorer of the world. Learn about people. You don't, you know, true fact, you don't know everything. I don't know everything. And for anybody to walk around life thinking they've seen it all, done it all, I will show you somebody who's very unhappy. In fact, I know a guy who's just like that. Every time people are talking about something at a table, he is always telling you how he's been there. He's done that. But when you really listen to him, he is not happy. And you're left thinking, why is this guy still breathing if he's done it all and has seen it all and there's nothing else in life that interests him? So take on a learning perspective, see the world with a fresh set of eyes, learn something new. Even if it's something you've done every single day, like go to work, to the same job, to the same desk, take a different route. Explore your city. Um, talk to a new person at the office. You know, look at a new way of doing things. Maybe there's a process that just annoys you to all get out. Maybe take a moment to think about how could this be done better? What can I do to make this process easier, more effective, more efficient for everybody at work around me? Uh, who can I meet and discover and, and connect with? You know, whose life can I make better and brighter just because I interacted with them? And you'll find that not only does that other person benefit, but you do too. All right, so we're already at 28 minutes. Uh, if you like what you've heard so far, be sure to check out the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 138. I'm not done talking about the happiness advantage. I'm here to share with you that uh, normal, average sucks. We don't have to live that way, guys. You don't have to live that way. And you can just simply shift your mindset. And the two big things I talked about in this one was one, see the world around you and the things you are involved with as a privilege, as an opportunity rather than a chore. So that's the first thing. The second thing is build up the relationships around you because you got to have connection with people who believe in you, encourage you, and trust you for you to be happy. And so with that, I leave you for this week and join me in episode 139 next week as I go into some of the concepts, the principles that Sean Acor talks about in The Happiness Advantage. And if you really want to copy that book, go to beyondtherut.com slash happiness. And there I'll just, it'll just forward you straight to amazon.com and you can buy a copy there. And then of course, Beyond the Rut gets a little piece of the action as a referral fee. Um, so with that said, thank you so much. And until next week, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Capshow team today and join me inside that community.